Hello, everyone. This is Frank from uh, Paytech Law, and today is the episode 54 of our podcast, Paytech Talk. Um, uh, maybe for the audience um, who don't don't know us um, by now, um, we are we are at Paytech Law. We um, uh, are a blog and a podcast format um, of the law firm Ennerton. Um, and we do provide um, information on uh, fintech-related uh, topics from a law perspective, um, um, for, from a German law perspective in particular. Um, and uh, yeah, well, with Ennerton, we are a law firm based in uh, Germany. We Germany and Luxembourg. Uh, we do have four offices. Um, uh, uh, one in uh, Munich, Berlin, and Frankfurt in Germany, and uh, one office in Luxembourg. Um, well, uh, key focus of our practice at Anerton, um is the fintech scene in its broadest sense. So uh, we are the go-to guys for everything related to uh, fint to the fintech industry. So uh, banking regulation, uh, uh, payment services, um, as well as as other regulatory um, um, issues such as AML or data protection, privacy and so forth. But uh, enough uh, uh, from me. Um, uh, I'm your host, Frank. Um, um, I would like to introduce my today's guest. Um, as with last episode, uh, I, I welcome uh, Ali Reza Siadat, uh, who's a partner at our Frankfurt office and our, um, well, a regulatory lawyer uh, with a strong focus on uh, the blockchain, the DLT industry. Uh, hi, Ali Reza. Hi, everyone. And I'm um, uh, really um, excited to uh, introduce now our second guest, um, James Burney from the law firm Gonna Cook uh, in the UK. Um, James, um, I, I think uh, for those who don't know what you do and, and who you are, uh, would you like to give us a short introduction uh, to you personally and, and what your law firm uh, Gonna Cook in the UK uh, provides for? Yeah, sure. and, and thanks very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, in terms of who Gonna Cook are, they are a full-service UK law firm. They were founded in, tw in 2010 with a focus on creating a service really designed with the client in mind. So it, we tend to use fixed fees for clients in order to avoid any issues over cost. And our services tend to be delivered solely by senior lawyers. So each partner within the firm has over 10,000 hours practicing experience. And we have made sure that we are really around the client. And in, the, in this set, we, we have actually almost adopted a DeFi structure ourselves. And therefore, we're not centered around a particular office block the way other law firms are, which reduces, key, uh, reduces cost for clients and also means more resilience as a firm. In terms of my own practice, I started off in crypto assets by advising on the first successful initial coin offering in the UK. And I went on to advise on things like the first equity issuance ever settled on chain. I work across the DeFi blockchain crypto asset ecosystem, advising everyone from DeFi networks to token designers, to blockchain platforms, exchanges, the whole lot. And I also advise firms across the FinTech space. I have given evidence in the all parliamentary group on blockchain in the United Kingdom. Wow, thanks, James. That is impressive, uh, very impressive. Um, so, um, Ali Riza, um, maybe just for the ones who don't know you yet, uh, could you please also give you a short introduction uh, on your person and what you do um, um, as a partner at our Frankfurt office, please? 
Yes, uh, thank you, Frank, for having me again on the podcast. Um, yes, I'm, I'm a partner in our Frankfurt office, and I have joined um, Anerton uh, just recently. Before that, I was uh, working with uh, different law firms for a long time. I was working with uh, PwC, where I was uh, setting up the crypto and blockchain practice. Uh, I'm uh, very active in the blockchain industry, also in Germany and in, within the European Union. Um, I'm uh, an expert member of the German Blockchain Association. I'm a co-founder and board member of the Luxembourg uh, think tank, the uh, um, blockchain think tank. And uh, through that, I'm also a member of the European Commission Blockchain Association in Atba. And uh, so these are my, my expertise points besides the, uh, the classical uh, work which I'm doing with banks and financial service providers on regulatory matters. Thanks, Alireza. So, um, as you can as you can hear, uh, I'm sitting here with two real um, blockchain experts. So, um, I think it's no surprise that our today's topic will uh, deal with uh, blockchain and, and blockchain regulation. Um, um, I think maybe we um, should start with a, a short update on the current UK regulation, a regulatory regime um, on crypto and DLT. Um, so James, um, would you like to give us a, a short overview and short update how um, the blockchain space is regulated um, in the UK? Yes, definitely. I, I think when you're looking at the UK regulatory regime, it, it's quite helped to split into the, to two different developments. The first development was having clarity regarding how things would be uh, regulated and treated under the existing regime. And if you look at what's happened, we've split tokens into three broad groups. We've got security tokens, which in broad terms are those which are linked to, to a security. So tokens linked to shares, tokens linked to bonds, tokens linked to fund units, that group of token. And they are effectively can be seen as a almost a voucher system or recording ownership on the blockchain. And they'll be regulated effectively because the underlying is regulated. The second group are the e-money tokens. And that's where you have one token is equivalent to one pound or one US dollar or one euro. So effectively the token represents a single unit of, of a traditional, what we would call fiat currency. And they're regulating the EMR rules. And then we have lastly this basket of tokens, which are the unregulated tokens which don't fall within any of the above. And that, that first set of developments is about looking at the UK regime, which closely mirrors the European regime, at least in its genesis, in terms of where it actually would fall if you didn't have any additional rules on top. The second development is the adoption of certain specific rules, so specifically around crypto assets. And the key issues here have been as regards consumer protection, stopping it and stopping uh, money laundering. So for example, what we've had is we've had uh, the FCA bring in, come in as the regulator for the money laundering uh, rules. And that's brought in requirements to become registered with the FCA. If you're either a custodian wallet provider or you provide crypto exchange services. And that is looking at the gateways into the crypto asset world and saying that people who own, who have the ability to hold the keys to those gateways should be registered as a way of stopping money laundering, crypto being used for money laundering in the UK. The second thing which has come out very recently are the FinPROM rules. And these are being adopted, uh, being adapted so that there is more in terms of a disclosure requirement for dealing with 
um, the promotion of crypto assets, certain crypto assets in the UK. And they're also being adapted so that in order to make financial promotions on certain crypto assets, those promotions have to be blessed or approved by certain entities which are registered and licensed by the FCA for those purposes. Oh, that was very interesting. Uh, thank you. So uh, maybe um, an, an additional qu questions to this. So, so how will how will the, the crypto assets then be regulated as a as a consequence uh, of the second development? Sure. So, in the UK, it's important to split out two completely different regimes, and the UK is unusual across Europe in in approaching the regulatory regime in this way. The first set of rules are about certain activities in the UK and whether you need to be authorized to perform those activities. And those rules are not changing. So if you have a security token, you are caught generally by those rules because you're already doing with what we call a financial instrument, which is in itself regulated by the FCA. And it's based on the old rules which apply. Right. The other set of rules are about how you promote these things. So it's basically advertising and how you sell your service. So if you are sitting outside the UK and you, are, uh, and you want to deal with UK customers, the first set of rules, unless you are operating through an establishment in the UK, usually do not apply. The, set, the core question for you is, can you market those activities in the UK? And they are subject to something called the financial promotion order, which is basically a prohibition on marketing these, uh, these products unless you have been approved by someone who's FCA authorized. There's also a separate consultation going on in the UK at the moment, which is distinct, but feeds back into the, the broader picture, which is additional rules being brought in as to which FCA authorized entity can sign off on which financial promotion. So when you move forward at the end of the date for certain crypto assets, you're going to have to, if you want to market them across the UK, get signed off by an FCA authorized entity. And that FCA authorized entity will have to be competent by the FCA in order to give that sign off for that particular asset class. Okay. Now lastly, it's worth just picking up on what I mean when I refer to certain crypto assets. The FCA recognizes that, for, that some assets, for example, if you had one which was a security token, they're already caught. So there's no change in those assets. The question becomes is whether it's what we would call fungible. And what I mean by that is if every crypto asset could be exchanged for any other crypto asset without any difference, you'd be fungible. So to take Bitcoin, the, no one gets excited about which Bitcoin you own. The question is, is how many Bitcoin you own. Compare that with crypto kitties, whereby each token is distinct, that would not be fungible under the rules and so would not be caught by them. The second question is transferability. If you have a closed network system where you can only redeem your tokens by going back to the issuer, then these rules won't apply. The question is whether, whether you can transfer them to other users. So if you have in your mind, does my token act like Bitcoin? And if the answer to that is yes, then there's a reasonably high chance that if you are promoting that currency, it would be caught by the rules and would need sign off. If you are talking about something which is a, a voucher for a service you give or voucher for goods you're selling or something like that, then there's a reasonable chance they won't be caught. Oh. That is, that is very interesting and I see a lot of similarities um, uh, in, the, in the German regulation and, and maybe um, before we go into further details, James, um, how the um, 
token are regulated uh, under UK laws. I think it might be a great idea to to hear um, from from Ali Reza how the the German crypto regulation works in in principle, and then we can first work out a little bit what is similar to the UK or vice versa and what is different. And I would also like to pick up uh, on the topic you said uh, as regards with the uh, promotion of, um, of a token, um, because I think that is a very interesting approach, which is slightly different from a, a German perspective. Um, but as I said, before we go into, uh, into this, um, Alirisa, could you give us um, in the light of what James just said, um, a quick overview, um, maybe for the UK listeners, on how the um, token regulation in Germany works. Yes, sure. So in, in a nutshell, I think it's important just to look um, uh, on the historical background, how crypto is regulated in Germany. So until 2020, in Germany, we had these three categories, payment, security, and utility token. And as a, as a rule of thumb, um, uh, only a security and a currency or payment token were regulated. Utility token were not regulated. And this was a, a big difference towards other uh, um, EU member states because Germany is and was the first uh, or the only member state which was regulating the trading of uh, cryptocurrencies or payment token. Uh, this has, however, changed in Germany from uh, the beginning of this year because now we have in a German banking act by law defined what crypto assets are. And it's a very broad definition which covers actually every uh, electronic value which is stored on the blockchain. So uh, we, we do not really have any more the, uh, the, the different categories uh, with respect to if you need a license or not, because actually trading of any crypto assets would require, require a license. Of course, if you trade security tokens, the licensing and also the compliance and the uh, so-called MIFID requirements would then also apply to that. Uh, but uh, with respect to if you need a license or if it's if it is regulated, you only have to look at if it's a crypto asset, yes or no. And uh, for that purpose, uh, all token categories, they are covered from now on. And the second uh, thing which we have in Germany is also very interesting because besides of trading with crypto assets, we also have now the custody service for crypto assets as a new regulated business, as a new regulated activity. So providing custody service to crypto assets. So uh, unlike to classical assets, we only look at crypto assets, for that you would need a separate license. So even if you are already a regulated entity in the in a, in a German market, and you already provide uh, services for financial instruments, uh, you would still need to apply for this so-called crypto custody license. And what's also interesting, uh, interesting in that respect is that since it is a, um, a, a regulation we only have in Germany, we do not have it within the European Union, you need to have your entity uh, in Germany before you can apply for such a license. So there is no cross-border business you can do with respect to crypto custody service. Uh, and this is something uh, I would say uh, very different from, from all the other players uh, within the crypto economy. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, maybe uh, to pick up on, on, on your last statement, could you maybe quickly elaborate uh, what the problem is with a from a cross-border perspective. So let's let's say we have a UK entity that would like to provide a cross-border cross service um, um, into Germany um, and would like to provide uh, crypto uh, 
uh, custody services. So, yeah. so what would what would be the problem? Um, um, is uh, would would a UK entity uh, be subject to German regulatory laws first and second? Mm -hmm. um, how how could uh, a UK firm um, um, apply for a license? And then maybe James, um, after Ali Reza, you can you can maybe give us um, your view um, the other way around. Because I think there are slight differences that are quite interesting, maybe for our audience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, to, to make this thing uh, this this talk a little bit more interesting, we can take a real use case. So if you look, for example, at Coinbase, Coinbase, the U.S. Uh, crypto exchange the major crypto exchange uh, headquarters from the US, which also has uh, an entity uh, in the UK and has uh, licenses within the uh, European Union, especially e-money licenses, uh, was providing so far the, uh, its services from the UK to its uh, German clients. So it was doing that on a so-called reverse solicitation basis, which means that as long as they were not actively approaching the German market, the German clients, they were allowed to provide their services, um, mainly the crypto trading, but also as a side service or as an uh, ancillary service, the custody of the uh, crypto assets. However, since now we have this new law in Germany, the German regulator is a little bit more strict with the qualification if it's active or passive solicitation, and it rather would qualify uh, all the services as active and hence would ask those providing the services to have this license. And as I said, you can only apply for the license if you are uh, a person, so a legal person, an entity in Germany. So you need to have uh, an entity in Germany. A branch would not be sufficient because a branch is not uh, from a corporate law perspective an entity. Therefore, you would need to set up first an entity in Germany and then apply for the license. So this is exactly what Coinbase uh, is doing uh, currently. So everyone has seen that um, uh, in the media. So it's no secret any longer. And uh, only after receiving the license, you can provide the services. Um, there, there's a trick behind this because we also have the grandfathering rule, which says that if you were providing the services before 2020, and if you were um, um, compliant with the grandfathering rules, which asks you to notify the regulator before 2020 and formally uh, um, provide your intention to apply for the license not later than November 2020, then the grandfathering rule would apply saying that you would be treated as you would have had the license already from the beginning of 2020. However, this is a, a different story. We have, I think, already a different podcast on that topic, so we can listen to the other podcast. Uh, but that, in a nutshell, is, uh, is uh, how it is working uh, for those who are not in Germany located and want to provide the services actively to the German market. Oh, thank you, Alisa. Um, I think we, we need to pick up on that again. But first, I would like to have um, James's view on, on how the um, your use case you were just describing would work the other way around. So let's take let's take a German entity that would uh, do the services that Alisa just described uh, from from a UK Germany perspective. How would that work from a UK perspective, James? Sure. So and. and this is going back to the, the two different regimes in the UK. So under the UK rules, you can have UK clients without needing to have a subsidiary in the UK. The question in the UK is going to be twofold. The first one is going to be whether you're going to need to, whether you're doing an activity which you would need to register for uh, by acting in the UK. And that is going to be a, a holistic assessment. But 
effectively things like if you did have an, a branch in the UK you were working from, that would indicate that you were doing your activities in, in the UK. Having a single UK client who comes across to Germany and, and deals with you in that way would not be dealing, um, would not be doing an activity in the UK and therefore is unlikely to require registration. The bigger uh, point towards dealing, um, controlling these forms of activities for a German entity are really going to be the financial promotion rules, which at this exact moment are subject to consultation. So they're not quite at the point where they're in force yet. But I would be suggesting at this point, you would want to be looking at how to comply with those because you know that as, as things move on, you can move fairly quickly in that direction. And to be clear that they're not particularly onerous. The big issue you're going to have is you're gonna have disclosure requirements, but as a matter of, of practice, you will, if you were doing activities towards the UK market, then you ought to really be complying with those in any event. It involves things like being fair and clear in the way you describe your product. It involves things like not overestimating the positives and making a clear picture as to also the risks of any potential product. So it's, it's the kind of disclosure we'd expect in any event. The bigger question is really going to be if you're going to systematically market a, a crypto asset across the UK, one of having, um, a, a, that sign off and looking at the way the UK market has adapted historically, there is a strong precedent for people coming into to a space like this and, and quickly setting up shoppers as people who would provide these services. So it's one of those ones where we, I would expect the market to change quite easily and quite, quite quickly. The issue with the UK uh, regime at the moment is because there's been a strong emphasis on not doing too much too fast and, and, and closing down competition, which would be healthy, it is slightly more complicated in the sense that a blanket approach has not been taken to crypto assets. And whereas if, if you know the rules and the regimes, you support that in the sense that the, the regulator is taking a, a proportionate and sensitive approach across. If you're coming in as someone who has no understanding of the UK rules and regime, it makes your life more complicated because you can't simply go, this is a crypto asset, therefore it's going to be dealt with in a particular way. So, so, so are you saying that there's no, well, at least from, from, from a non-UK lawyer's perspective, um, is there, there's not a clear, um, a clear threshold or, or situation where you can say, if you do this and that, uh, then you are under regulation. And if you avoid this and that, then you, um, then you are not. Um, so, so what do you, what, what, what would you, what, what would you suggest to a German entity that would like to, to approach the uh, UK market without being, as you said, doing too much and too fast. Uh, would you recommend to? So how can you how can you get in, involved in, in in well the regulatory regime? Do you is it advisable to definitely um, talk to a lawyer? Is there anything anything published by the FCA where I can have a look at and and see? Okay, maybe if I do this and that as a starter, I'm I'm, I'm not subject to regulation. Is there any advice you can give besides, of course? Obviously, it's always good to see a lawyer um, to be sure that you are that you are compliant. But is there anything you could um, you could advise uh, for the audience? Sure, I think you need to split out between two different types of business. The first group of business are those which are giving a particular service, and the services which you need to think about are ones where either you're doing custody of either crypto assets or private keys, and services where you're giving exchange services. So you're giving people the ability to switch from 
uh, free up money to crypto assets or between crypto assets. If you are giving either of those services, the next question you have to ask yourself is whether you are operating for an establishment in the UK. If you do not have an establishment in the UK, then I would suggest you have a very high chance of not being subject to the UK regime. But the, it is good, what I would suggest is you look at the FCA website, which has clear web pages, which sets out whether an activity is or is not performed in the UK. So that's kind of the broad picture, but I'd always recommend you check the FCA website before going forward or, or taking legal advice if you would prefer to do that. Right. The second thing is, is in terms of promoting a particular crypto asset. And the crypto assets which are really caught are security tokens because they're caught under the old rules. And if you're going to promote tokenized bonds, tokenized equity, and so on, to be completely honest, you're simply under the old regime, you treat it that way and you're caught by those rules accordingly. If you are offering e-money, then you are subject to the e-money rules and you're subject to the electronic money regulation the same way you would be across Europe. So again, you're under that system. The question then becomes is whether you are being involved in tokens which are basically outside of those two, so would be unregulated, whether they are fungible, so whether all tokens are treated the same, and whether they are transferable. If you're within that group of crypto assets and you want to market those crypto assets in the UK, then moving forwards, a regime will apply. And it's for that core group, you'll be wanting to get legal advice. And it's going to be not necessarily, that's why I said legal advice, I don't necessarily mean you want, necessarily want to speak to a lawyer. You will want to speak with someone who has the ability in the UK to approve the financial promotion you're making. And that isn't actually a lawyer. That, that will be an FCA authorized entity which can do that. Lawyers in the field who specialize in this at, when the time comes should will be able to put you in contact with the right people to sign off on it. But because the regime is still coming in, we're not quite at that point yet. Right. Well, thank you. Um, interesting. Um, Alireza, do you have something you would like to add from a German perspective? Because uh, this is definitely different from how we um, um, handle the, I would call it, rural solicitation um, approach. Um, obviously also with regard um, to the different services you are providing, as, as you said, Shane, so it depends on the product uh, you're, you're promoting. Um, so is there anything you would like to add uh, from a German perspective, Ali Reza? No, actually not, not really. I mean, it, it's for me also very interesting to, to hear about this because uh, I knew before already that the, the UK regime is, is different from the German one, but it is now for me, it becomes now for me more clear that it's very, very, uh, tricky. It's very tricky to evaluate when you are doing a regulated crypto business within the UK or not. And uh, it's, it's good to, to, to have this chat now and to, to see these differences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, it's really interesting on how differently the so-called single European market works. <laughs> um, this is uh, it's very interesting. It's also sometimes uh, frustrating for companies um, that, that uh, roll out their business abroad and they have to abide by so many different rules. And, and even though we have um, harmonized European laws, it's, it's uh, still different um, on how the, um, the UM, uh, EU member states um, um, regulate um, certain business. Um, I, 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 just, I think it's particularly bad for crypto assets. And the reason I think it's particularly bad for crypto assets is if you take something like investment management or funds, each of those is built around a European framework, which built into it the concepts of passporting. 
and off the back of passporting, effectively you had a harmonized group of rules and once you're licensed in one country, you can move to any other. The fifth money laundering directive, which is where most European regulators are hanging their, their current licensing regime, does not allow for passporting and was simply not designed to create a licensing regime for crypto assets. And I think that's why we've got this problem where first of all, we don't have that ability to passport. And second of all, different regulators have reinterpreted the rules in completely different ways because legislation was not built for this particular purpose. And I'm seeing at the moment problems with clients who would love to work across Europe, but are looking at all the different prices involved and have decided to, to back off because what they're saying is, is they're not yet at the, the size where they're large enough to justify the expense of trying to go for each European country. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, um, I think it, it's... The problem with the AMLD5 was that, um, uh, which I can totally understand, that, that the lawmakers and regulators would like to um, fight uh, anti-money laundering and, and terror financing. I mean, fair enough, that's very important to, to make the whole financial services work properly. But I think that the um, license requirement or registration requirement uh, in the AMLD5 was not the right setup um, to regulate such a thing. I think, at least from my perspective, when I'm happy to hear, hear your opinion, uh, it would have been sufficient um, to simply set out uh, AML requirements for crypto exchanges or even custodian services, um, and then uh, decide on a later stage, uh, again, either in a directive or in a European regulation on how to um, put um, crypto custodian services or exchanges uh, under regulation. So. What is your take on 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 that uh, opinion? I I completely agree, and I think that there's there's broad the problem. The whole fintech market is it's all based on innovation. Innovation is all based on looking at existing things and trying to do something different. And then there's an inherent tension between that and and trying to create a uniform rule book. And one of the interesting things I think we're, we're seeing at the moment is. The FCA was very keen on the FCA sandbox and it was the first regulator to have a sandbox. One of the core um, influences behind the sandbox is the ability for firms to take a slightly different approach to things, but that's always been hampered by the fact that there's also been a common European framework. So it'll be really interesting to see how different sandboxes to, uh, approach, because I've been involved in projects recently looking at different sandboxes across the, the Europe world and they have completely different ideas to what the sandbox means by each regulator. And you, as a result, when we say the word sandbox, we actually mean multiple, we actually have, there's no common language there. And if you look at the world post-Brexit, I can see a world whereby a European type sandbox is a completely different animal to what we would have in the UK. Because if you stopped having rules being, being set in stone because the European framework in the UK, because we've left the European uh, regime, then you may get more in terms of the FCA taking a view on, on certain rules they simply weren't competent to do beforehand because they were such a European regime. On the flip side across Europe, I could see how the sandbox wouldn't be able to have that flexibility, but you would have the advantage that you'd have lots of different European regulators involved so if you've got go in the European sandbox, it may be you can spread across Europe. So there's an interesting compromises going on with different regulators taking different approaches in terms of trying to position their current market as, as the top place to set up. 
I think it's going to be really fascinating moving forward. So I think there is scope, there's going to be arbitrage between the two systems in the sense that certain firms, given their model, will be more natural to the FCA view of the world, and certain ones will be suited to the more European view of the world. And I can see a model whereby you may, for example, set up in the FCA to start up because you have more of an ability to, to make a case for your particular model there, but then later on moving into the European model because you want to get access to that larger market. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to add something on that. I mean, actually, if you look at the advice papers of the European Securities Markets Association, ESMA, and of the European Banking Authority, EBA, uh, last year, January 2019, so in their papers on ICOs and crypto assets, they already have uh, warned uh, the EU member states of, um, of not uh, having an, an EU harmonized approach of having their own domestic rules. And uh, this would not uh, be in a, in a, in a um, perspective of having a single market. But this is exactly what is now happening. Like uh, 18 months later, we, if you look at the different uh, member states within the European Union, we already can see that there's a different uh, regulatory treatment of uh, the crypto business. And uh, by looking at the crypto business in general, I mean, it is an international, a global business. And uh, if, if there's no standard regulation, no, no global regulation on that, uh, then we, we, we have something what we can right now see, for example, also in the US. Uh, this is very interesting what happened uh, yesterday in the US. Uh, that they now started to allow uh, uh, um, regulated banks uh, within the US to uh, provide crypto custody services. So this is actually the, the next step. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think uh, if you really want to tackle um, the, the, the blockchain scene and the, the crypto regulation, and also from a European view, I think it's absolutely crucial and essential that, that we somehow find a way to to harmonize um, regulation there um, because otherwise I think we have a big disadvantage um, uh, towards players such as uh, players in, in Asia um, um, and and the, the US the US definitely. I mean, as you said, Alireza, looking into the crypto custody regulation in Germany, and maybe you can give a quick view on that. Um, it's a totally different setup, correct? Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I believe that um, Germany was the first country uh, globally um, regulating the crypto custody service. I mean, uh, the regulators uh, have realized that crypto trading is, is a very risky business, but they have also quickly realized that actually those who provide the custody service, they also uh, uh, do a risky business. And uh, that's why uh, the, the German regulator was very, very fast in regulating the custody service. Uh, but uh, as we can see now, um, in the, uh, in not just in the banking industry, but also in the investment and in the fund industry, the, the crypto custody service is a very big market. And um, this is probably also the reason why now uh, the, the US, the, the so-called uh, Office of the Control of the Currency, uh, has published this, this uh, statement that um, US banks are allowed to provide the crypto custody service, which is very interesting if you, because if you look at those banks which already do this service, the JP Morgan uh, and JP Morgan with its very strong relationship to Coinbase uh, is, is now officially allowed to provide such services. And it's also very interesting to see that uh, at this US body, the, uh, the office of the controller of currency, the head of that office 
is a former exec of Coinbase. So now the, the, the circle uh, <laughs> is there. And uh, so you can see how big this business, how big this crypto business is, that you now have influence from the market on the regulator, an example of the US, and then that the regulator comes and says, okay, you know what, you as a US bank, you're allowed to provide to crypto custody service. And for me, it's very interesting to see if uh, how this will affect uh, the rest of the world, because in, in Germany, uh, those who do, for example, custody of uh, digital funds, so crypto funds, uh, they have very, very, uh, it's very tricky for them to apply now for the license, even though they are already banks, they all already have a license to provide custody service for classical assets. They do not have the license to provide uh, custody services for, for, for crypto assets. Uh, and uh, for me, it would be interesting to see if this US crypto custody, uh, uh, not license, but this, US, this, uh, this clarity that they're allowed to, to do the service without having a license would also allow them to do the, the custody of, of uh, crypto funds. And uh, for me, it's also interesting to see how it is in, in, in the UK, because in Germany, we still have this uh, so-called uh, requirement to have everything in a, in a paper format. Therefore, the, the, this crypto funds in practice, we do not really have them because it's a civil law uh, issue. But in, in the UK, I understand that we do not have the requirement to have the, the, the paper the paper fund or the paper certificate you can have it in a digital way so uh, James how do you see this uh, this uh, crypto custody of digital funds in the UK and also maybe in a with a view to what's right now happening in the US because UK is, uh, is, is usually following in the US in that respect yeah I, th I think it's a really interesting one I, I think the definitely differences in philosophy among regulators and that that's coming to for, to the fore here um, in Germany and in in the US there's an implicit assumption that the banks are in, in a good place to provide this service and actually I'm not sure the UK has taken quite the same view on this the UK has folk has sees a lot of this as being the SME market and there are custodians working in the UK for funds which currently do not have FCA authorization. That they are will be registered with the FCA for money laundering purposes. But if you are doing custody of unregulated tokens, you do not need to be licensed by the FCA for that particular activity. So you can quite happily work in the UK just by being registered with the UK. I think that that is under threat slightly from the from the new crypto assets things coming out, which, which is showing an increasing tightening of the rules in the in the regulatory space but i think also that there's an implicit question to be asked which is whether it is actually the banks who, who are the best place to provide these services because the banks a bank is simply an entity which accepts deposits and is a deposit taker that does not necessarily mean that it has got the technical competence to to give crypto casting in a safe and secure manner so i think it, it, it is going to be an issue. I think the UK rules are easier than, than those in Germany, US at, at the moment. I actually, I'm always slightly quizzical when people go things ought to be licensed or ought to be regulated because my immediate gut feeling is, is what does that actually mean? And I had, way back when I had a regulator come away and go, great, James, um, we want to have a fully we want to uh, have ICOs in our country. We want it to be fully regulated and up to scratch. And I went, that sounds fantastic. I said, what does that mean? And I'll draft it for you. 
anyway, we don't know what it means, but it sounds so much better. And what you have in the UK, because it's a common law system, is there are already rules against fraud, already rules against misleading people. There are already requirements about having duties to, to, to your clients. So there is already a lot of rules there which, which crypto asset custodians would have to comply with. It's just that they are under what we call the common law of the land rather than a bespoke regulated regime. And I think one of the interesting questions moving forwards is is where we all end up because in the UK I, I have lots of I have several clients who are all crypto custodians, and they are not banks. Uh, a whole several of them are not regulated, and they work with funds and, and they do very well. But if the rules change on that, then then you may get a shift towards the market players. And I think at the end of the day, you've got to ask yourself where your priorities are because. If you are keen to promote innovation and competition, then you do not want to put unduly burdensome requirements to being set up because it will simply block new players coming in. If, however, you feel that this is a world whereby only the existing banking infrastructure can be trusted to move it forwards, then you may want to block it. And I think post-Brexit, there, there has been a shift in the UK towards trying to promote fintech. Uh, I think that that's shown with the sandbox some of the FCA's responses to how, to how they've dealt with crypto assets. And it's also shown by stuff at the government level, since government wanting to put the UK forwards as a, as a place to encourage this sort of activity. And the UK has always seen itself as a market for smaller firms wanting to set up. So it, it will not necessarily rush to a solution whereby you, you are moving it simply towards the larger institutions as being the answer. That being said, things go wrong. When things go wrong, regulators like to react to show that they're doing things better. Currently, the reaction is in terms of disclosure and making sure that when someone buys something, it is what they think it is. But moving forward, if, if things go wrong in, in the UK custody market, I can see people wanting to, to take steps. But... The caution all the time in the UK is not to be seen to be overreacting as a regulator. Well, thank you, James. That was a very interesting, um, interesting view. Um, haven't thought about this. So, so what you basically say, or maybe that that is the consequence out of this. So, the UK um, is probably then in this regard closer to Germany than to the US, um, because you are saying that. Um, so, the UK is more open for. Uh, for to promote uh, fintech, the fintech industry, so also new players, innovative players with uh, technic technical abilities. Whereas we have learned from Ali Reza that in the US, um, it is now just simply possible for all banks to provide such services, which is, if I under understand your reasoning correctly, which is more protection of the banking infrastructure in the US. So, so probably um, a whole different, uh, a whole different approach. Yeah, and I think we, what's interesting is, whereas with most reg regulation, regulators take a fairly consistent approach uh, globally. One of the fascinating things about this space is the completely different philosophies by which which different regulators are, are coming forwards. You're getting some regulators coming forward and, and they're concerned about the rights of the individual. They're worried about data protection and, and it's all about what, what the individual can do. And that tends to be quite a European approach. The American approach is to make everything towards a, being a financial instrument. It's really the, towards the corpus effectively. If you take something like a Chinese approach, the Chinese are about the, the, large, so, the larger social good is, is how they would see it. 
Um, and so they, they would tend to have the state being more in control because to their mind, the state is there to protect the people and therefore these rights go towards that level. So what we're seeing is, is actually, we're seeing huge cultural differences coming into the market. Now I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other, but what, what's interesting is you are getting different people coming forward with a completely different approach. And that's why when I have clients who are wanting to, to go more global, actually we tend to pick those continents which tend to have a similar philosophy behind them to, to the existing, to, to, the, to the companies used to, because it's an easier matchup. And that's one of the reasons why if you go, say, set up in the UK, you might well move into Europe faster than you would move somewhere like the US because the US is a whole different infrastructure and therefore the way I always put it is you either go full US or not US, you don't dabble. But if you're in Europe, you've got more of the potential to, to dabble probably isn't quite the most correct way of putting it, but to go in a little bit because the regimes, although there are differences and although though there are that creates complexity, the actual underlying core beliefs, the underlying core framework share a lot in common. So do you think that this might also be, um, so the, the UK philosophy you were just described, do you think that it's also uh, maybe a, a, a measure for post-Brexit scenario? So you're saying that the UK wants to position itself? Yes. Yeah, okay. I think so. And one, one of the interesting things you see is if you take the, 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 the there's a, big rule book all everyone all the regulated firms in the UK comply with called the FCA handbook which sets out lots of rules and requirements for firms a lot of those rules copy European requirements and therefore the UK cannot express a view on those because they're European requirements one of the things people are looking at is taking parts of that handbook and, and turning it into code so if you take things like the amount of capital a company has to set aside that is a, a specific number and you can work out that number mathematically you can also work out mathematically how much money the company has in the, in the bank account set aside. So you can set up a system whereby you code the two together. So if the company does not have sufficient money in the bank, that triggers a warning system. And then immediately all the right uh, notifications get made. So it's just the regulator knows immediately that there's an issue and so on. If you take something like Lehman Brothers, if there's an open question in my mind as to whether if the Lehman Brothers account had been run on the blockchain, whether it would have gone bust. Because if you look at how Lehman Brothers went bust, the issue was a crisis of confidence. No one knew how much money Lehman Brothers had in the bank to settle its obligations within each part of it, its organization. If the regulator could have turned around and gone, actually, it's all coded. We know exactly which is in which part of the bank account. We know exactly which parts Lehman Brothers can pay. There is an open question as to whether Lehman Brothers could avoid a bankruptcy because the parts of the Lehman Brothers which still had money could continue trading. So I think that there's a whole aspect to that, but you can't have that in the UK until we're, uh, till post-Brexit because there's European rules and the act of coding them is putting an interpretation which the regulators do not have the confidence they as yet to do. So it, it's changes like that which, which are being um, talked about in the UK. And I'm not saying they necessarily all, all go well or, or, or so on, but it, I think it sort of demonstrates momentum in the room to try things out and try and put the UK forward as a leading fintech country, which is how it would like to be perceived. So James, I know you have to have to go on in, in just a few minutes. So, so maybe to wrap all up, um, I think um, this was a very 
uh, great podcasts and I've learned uh, many issues on, on how the, the blockchain regulation works in, 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 in the UK and um, we also had some, some view to the US. Uh, I think we definitely have to follow up on this because there are so many more topics we need to discuss. We talked about sandboxes, we talked about European approaches, different philosoph philosophies. Um, similarities between UK and Germany. So I think um, I, I would be humbled if, if we could follow up on this in, in, in another podcast. I'd be absolutely uh, delighted to. So, so um, thank you so much for having been our guest uh, today, James, and, and also Ali Reza. I think uh, this was a very interesting uh, podcast. And please, uh, for all the audience um, that are listening to, to our show today, um, if you have any questions, uh, anything you would like to ask James or Ali Reza, just please reach out um, uh, to, to Anaton um, um, or um, um, to James. Uh, we will have um, the links um, in, in the show notes. Uh, but maybe as a, as a last uh, sentence, uh, James, uh, where, can we, where, can, where can our audience find more about you and your, and your uh, practice? Sure. So you, you do feel free to email me at James dot bernie that's b-u-r-n-i-e at gonnacook g-u-n-n-e-r-c-o-l-k-e dot com alternatively just if you google blockchain gonnacook you'll, you'll come across a website we put together and on, on that we, we've got various links to, to fca uh, requirements and and so on so it is quite a nice hub of information if if you're curious you just want to click around and learn more Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. We'll put all the info also in the show notes. Um, Alireza, where can people find about more about what you do? Yeah, just go on LinkedIn and look for my name or just Google me. You will straight find me. And of course, on our Anaton homepage, our Paytech Law, uh, in our blog, there are also information on me, my colleagues, our practice group. And so, yeah, just Google it. All right, we'll do. Yeah, and me, Frank, you can find me on almost uh, every uh, social media platform. So preferably on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, also find uh, in the show notes. Also, of course, on the Paytech Law website and Anaton website. Um, thank you very much, guys. This was very interesting. Um, I look forward to uh, follow up podcasts and to our audience. Thanks again uh, for joining us today. Uh, please write comments, um, questions, whatever you'd like to know. And uh, yeah, please come back the next time when it says Paytech Talk. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Thank you, Frank. Bye-bye.